so we're talking about prayer today. We're going to be talking about prayer for the next six weeks. I'm really excited about tying a practice of prayer to this and uh, every week. But as we kick off, go ahead and take a look at this video. Most people pray. People who go to church and those who don't. Most people pray without even knowing it. When we're on a plane as it takes off, for some reason, we pray. When our favorite sports team is in a close game, we bite our nails and we pray. When we're being wheeled into an operating room, even if it's a simple procedure, for some unknown reason, we pray. The words, they just come out, often words we don't even hear ourselves whispering. Lord, help my mom be okay. God, I hope this pilot knows how to fly. Lord, help my team to win. Jesus, what in the world am I doing right now? Again, most people pray. Whether we're pursuing God or not, the words, they just come out. But something changes when we have a relationship with God. Our heart, it becomes alive, and because of that, our prayers and our words come alive. And we're no longer just talking to someone, we're talking with someone, with God, because there's a relationship, a foundation with Jesus. Everybody prays. Everybody prays. Listen, maybe the last time you prayed was when you got a pop quiz in high school, but I guarantee you prayed, right? There's like conservative pol politic people out there, right? They want prayer back in schools. Listen, guys, as long as we're given tests, there's prayer in schools. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and the truth is everybody prays. Everybody prays. The problem is we know that we pray, but we don't really know much more than that. We know that especially for those of us that have been in the church and around Jesus for a while, we have the sense that we should be praying, we are praying, and yet we just don't know much about it. The truth of the matter is a lot of you guys are new to Jesus, and, and so you feel inadequate about prayer, and I, but I guarantee you that people that have been in the church 5, 10, 20 times as long as you still feel inadequate about prayer. They're still worried about whether or not they're doing it the right way. We, we did an online poll to kind of help us shape this series, and it's still on Facebook if you'd like to take it. But here's the interesting thing about prayer. Over 30 people responded to this, and they identified, yeah, that they do pray. Most people said they pray even more than once a day. And they pray about their finances, they pray about their health or the health of a loved one, they pray about their relationships. They pray about so many things. And while they're comfortable with going to God, while we're comfortable with going to God and asking him about these things that concern us, all of us lack a sense of confidence from that point. Uh, about half of the people who responded, about half of the people responded, says that God often answers their prayer. 30% of people said that God sometimes answers prayer. And about another 10% said God rarely answers prayer which means about 90% of us just aren't that confident about what happens when we pray. We're worried about what we, if we pray, it looks like when we try to send one of those text messages and you get this annoying red dot, right? Not delivered. We're worried that maybe I'm saying these things, maybe I'm throwing them up at God and they're just not getting there. We asked the question about what questions people have when it comes to prayer and the most common question that people have about prayer is this, am I praying the right way? Am I praying the right way? They're worried if they're being nagging or bothersome or somehow praying in a way that it just would not even get to where it needs to go. 
And so my hope with this series, we're going to do about six weeks. We're going to bring in a number of different people to share with us. We're going to do a panel discussion on prayer, just like we did on the Holy Spirit. My hope on the other end of this series is that you are encouraged and know how to pray, that somehow you've picked up a practice for prayer or two that, that makes you uh, feel confident that when you go to the Lord that you're connecting with him, that you're not just talking about him, but that you're talking with him. And if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I hope you hear this. Prayer is simply about talking with God. Thus the name of this series. Prayer is simply about talking with God. It's not about saying prayers or even learning about techniques for prayer, although we are certainly going to learn some techniques for prayer in this series, some habits and some disciplines. But this series is about this, that prayer is doing whatever is necessary to deepen our friendship with God. Prayer is doing whatever is necessary to deepen our friendship with God and then making, making sure that we set a time daily, we set aside time daily to do that thing. Now, I just said something that might strike you. I just said that prayer is doing whatever it takes to deepen our friendship with God. This might be crazy to you that God is trying to connect with you that God is reaching out to you, that God wants to have a friendship with you. Maybe you've never heard this before, so maybe I get to be the first to tell you that the God of the universe really wants to be your friend. And yeah, he's holy and totally other and far more than our minds could ever imagine, and he knows all things and can do all things. And yet, in all of this, in Jesus, God extends to us the hand of of friendship. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. He says, since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we'll certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That word rejoice, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, our wonderful new friendship. The problem is a lot of our relationships with God aren't marked by rejoicing. They're marked with guilt and shame and maybe none of those things, just awkwardness. We don't know how to have a, a, a friendship with God. We don't know how to get into that relational place. You know, if you've already stepped across the line of faith, here's the truth. You are a friend of God. And if you haven't yet, in the cross, on the cross, Jesus was the hand of God extended to us, not in anger or judgment, but in friendship. And prayer is how we live into that friendship. Prayer is how we live into that friendship. I mean, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. You are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. God wants to confide in you and wants you to confide in him. And the way that we experience that is through prayer. You know, if you're familiar with Billy Graham at all, he was kind of this big uh, traveling speaker uh, throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And he would go into these stadiums filled with thousands and thousands of people. And, and Billy Graham had one message, that God wants to have a personal relationship with you. That it is, we are only saved, not by just going to church or knowing about God, but that we're only saved by knowing and having a personal relationship, a friendship with Jesus. And so this kind of tribe that we have been shaped by as what we call evangelicals, you're an evangelical, you just don't know it, and not the weird voting kind, but, but another kind, we're people of good news. 
what it means is that we insist on a personal relationship with God. Not that you just know about him or that you do Christian things, but that you, you know him, that you know Jesus. But the irony is, even though we know we're supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus, our relationship doesn't always feel all that personal. We don't know really how to have this connection, this relationship, even intimacy with Jesus. We just don't know how to do that. And so a lot of us actually end up falling into this rhythm with God where it's not about living life with him, but living life from him. See, we know that there's a lot of things that burden us, and so we go to God and we say, God, I need your help with this. God, somebody I love is sick. I need you to do something about that. God, I don't know how to handle this situation. You do. And so we go to God, but after a while, we begin to wonder is this all there is to my relationship with God? Is this friendship that Jesus has offered me really only lived out in asking God for stuff? You see, we've somehow left this relational space and entered into what I would call a transactional space. We keep treating God like he's a bank teller or somebody that's running the cash, the, the, the checkout at Target. It's transactional. We don't know how to have a relationship with him. Now listen, hear me on this. If your prayer life right now is mostly asking God for stuff, that's not wrong. And I'm not here to tell you that you've been praying wrong. What we are here is to listen to an invitation from Jesus to go deeper than that. What we are here to do is, is to hear from Jesus that he doesn't just want to hear about the things that we need, but he, though he does, he also wants something, something more to that. And listen, if if the only thing you ever pray for your whole life is asking God for stuff, your father is always going to be glad you showed up. If you spend your life only asking God for stuff, he's always going to be glad that you showed up. He's always going to be glad that you walked in the door. And yet his invitation is for us to experience something so much deeper, to experience something that Jesus had with the father that we see throughout the gospels. Jesus the Gospels tell us, was constantly withdrawing to be with his father. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verse, verse 35 says this, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. The Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, isolated places, and prayed Jesus gave much of his attention to prayer. He disciplined his whole earthly existence, not around doing things for God, but about being with his father. And what he did, the miracles he performed, the movement he sparked, came not from his power to do things, but came from a deep and intimate connection with his father that he wants to share with us. In this series, we want to look at the life of Jesus and see what kind of relationship he had with the Father and how we might have that relationship with him. And so this is the point where I shift from preacher to teacher, okay? That I'm walking with you in this because confession is that I suck at prayer. I have never in my entire Christian life felt like my prayer life was vibrant or meaningful. I've always felt like when I go to God, I'm kind of in this rut where I don't know what to say to him other than, other than, well, God, I, I, here's all these things I need. And a lot of you know our story, and we've been asking God for some stuff pretty intently for the last two or three years, but, but there's got to be more. And there is, and we see it in the life of this Jesus who 
withdrew to lonely places and prayed. When we go to get that connection going with our Father, we often feel like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights. We don't know what to do with our hands, right? We get into prayer and all of a sudden we have this awkwardness overtake us. We don't know what we're supposed to do or what we're supposed to say. And those of you that have started praying maybe out loud for the first time, man, do you feel this? Man, do you feel it when you start just praying kind of quietly in your head? It's, it's this feeling of, I don't know what to do. The series is going to help us do this. And we learn this from Jesus. And we learn this from friends of God who have passed down prayer practices over and over throughout history so that we can grow. So let's look at the life of Jesus for a minute. It says that Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed that Jesus got up before daybreak and went to an isolated place and he prayed. Here's what we know about Jesus is Jesus appreciated how hard it is to be fully present even for a few minutes. Jim Elliott says, wherever you are, be all there. But most of us, wherever we are now, we're also in eight other places in five text message conversations and an argument that we're having in our head and the next place that we would like to be, it's very hard to be present. And so Jesus would withdraw from distractions. Jesus had the advantage of not having a TV blaring or music playing or a phone buzzing or ringing. And so what we learn about Jesus' prayer life and what we need to embody is finding a specific place at a specific time that is free from distraction. David McIntyre says, David McIntyre in his book, The Hidden Life of Prayer, he says, the equipment for the inner life of prayer is simple, if not always easily secured. It consists particularly of a quiet place, a quiet hour, and a quiet heart. And so a helpful practice could be to set up a chair somewhere in your house that that's the place that you go to meet with God that this is the same spot every time that you set aside some time to be with God. There's something about sacred space. We're human beings, we have a body. Just being in certain places makes you feel a certain way. Being in Target makes you wanna buy something. Going to the gym makes you smell like that. When you smell that rubber, it kind of gets you ready to go. When you're at the mall and you smell the pretzels cooking, you get hungry. See, there's something about our bodies that help us in this. So we set aside a chair, we set aside a space, we set aside a place that is free of distractions. We turn off the TV and we leave our phone. Millennials, you can do it. You can leave your phone in the other room. On silent, by the way, not ringing so that you know. Maybe you, if you have a landline, you pick it up and you turn it on and you leave it off the hook just for a few minutes and you go and you get quiet before God. And let me tell you the hard part about getting quiet for God, before God. Five seconds feels like 10 minutes. I, I chose a spiritual practice of silence when I was in my master's program. And silence is, I, Rebecca's looking at me like, Kyle, what? Yes. I chose silence and I would wake up every morning and I would sit in the same chair and I would just listen for God. And I, the first day I did it, I thought, man, I've been doing this for so long and I look at the clock and I've been going for 75 seconds. And so my goal was to grow that and grow that and grow that and I, with great effort and much blood, sweat and tears, grew it to about four minutes where I could sit quiet before the Lord without thinking about 18 things that I needed to do today. Jill Briscoe, a teacher that I really like, she says, the compulsion to clean my house never comes on me so strongly as when I'm praying, right? 
As soon as we sit down to get quiet before the Lord, man, do we suddenly think of the 12 things that we need to buy and this person that we need to call and this thing that's going on and this thing that's stressing me out about work. And yet Jesus models this life where somehow he managed to get quiet before the Lord, make himself available before his Father in a way that was free of distraction. And so you set up a place, you set up a time, maybe that means you get up early or stay up late by the way, married couples, our advice to you is that you always go to bed at the same time. Um, that is the Kyle Tennant and Stephanie Tennant School of Marriage Counseling advice. There you go. Every couple that we've done marriage counseling, that should sound familiar too. So you wake up early, maybe before the kids. And, and the prayer practice we're going to talk about today might be hard if you have kids. And so maybe this one isn't going to work, or maybe your work schedule makes this one challenging. There's going to be other prayer practices throughout the series that may work for you. So you get up, you set that quiet place, you have your coffee ready, and you just go, and you build this prayer practice. But I guarantee you, you start doing these things, and you sit in that chair, and all of a sudden, you're going to default into this, here's everything I need, God. And we're going to talk about there's such a thing as anxious prayers. We start praying anxious prayers. And so how do we get out of this request rut? Again, guys, if you only ever ask God for stuff, he's going to be thrilled to be there with you. And yet, there's this desire that God has for us to share in a friendship. There's this desire that God has for us to share in relationship with him. And we express that relationship in one particular prayer practice, which is called the prayer of examine. We're going to look at that today. The prayer of examine. Because we have this sneaking sense, don't you? You have this sense that when Jesus went and prayed, he probably wasn't asking for stuff as much as you and I are asking for stuff. I'm not saying that he didn't. I just get the sense that he and God were kind of in this conversational, sharing their life kind of place. And that's exactly what the prayer of examine is all about. The prayer of examine is one spiritual practice, one spiritual discipline that helps us put flesh to the teaching of Scripture. You know, anytime you got a room full of non-Catholics, you need to not let them be scared by spiritual practices, right? Because I'm about to teach you something by, from the 16th century by St. Ignatius of Loyola. And somebody's like, I ain't Satan nobody. You know what I mean? I'm trying to get out of that. There's richness in our tradition. And by the way, the practice of silence is the early church's, ver is the other side of the coin from ecstatic stuff. So we talked about the Holy Spirit a couple weeks ago and, and tongues and words of prophecy, uh, praying in tongues, these kinds of things. The other side of the charismatic coin is the contemplative practices like, like St. Ignatius of Loyola and the prayer of examine. These are two, the, the transrational spiritual practices are those of silence and ext ecstatic utterance. They share, they share a thing. Prayer of examine is one spiritual practice. A spiritual practice is the way that we enact Paul's teaching in 1 Timothy that we train ourselves in godliness. Paul says, train yourself in godliness. For, for physical training is of some value. I always told Zach this. Physical training is of some value. Not a lot, but some. Right? Enough that it's worth pursuing. Physical training is of some value, but training in godliness lasts forever. 
Now, Paul says, train yourself in godliness, and, 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 and we don't have categories for that, but if you were a first century uh, Greek believer, you would, because there was, no spiritual, there was no spirituality of the first century, there's no spirituality ever that does not include spiritual practices, that does not include spiritual disciplines, that, that does not include habits that we pursue to help us put on the character of Christ. So when Paul said to Timothy, train yourself in godliness, Timothy instantly knew, well, that means there are spiritual practices that I have to attend to in order to grow myself in the image of Jesus. And so these spiritual practices include, by the way, singing corporately, praying corporately, hearing scripture taught. It includes coming to worship. It includes uh, giving. It includes personal Bible study, it includes personal prayer, it includes all sorts of these habits that we see modeled in the life of Jesus. Jesus was who he was publicly because of who he was privately. I'm reading a book by Dallas Willard called The Spirit of the Disciplines. Do you know why Jesus had uh, reflexes, reflexive reactions of gentleness and godliness? It's because of the time that he spent quietly by himself in prayer. So if we're to be like Jesus in every aspect of our life, we have to withdraw like Jesus withdrew and engage in those practices. That's what, Jesus didn't have like bonus points because he was God. He did, but in his humanity, he acted the way he did because of the time that he spent with the Father. That's what it looks like for us, and that's what these spiritual practices are. And the one we're looking at today is called the prayer of examine. Now, examine, that's a scarier word, right? Does that mean God is going to like, is there a test, Kyle, right? Is there a test? No. Now, there is an element where God tests us, but he does not test us like your girlfriend in high school tested you to see if you really, if she really, li- if you really liked her, Right? He tests the way a guy that does metal tests. He draws out impurities. Metal tested draws out weakness and impurities. That's what the prayer of examine does. The prayer of examine is how we examine our day. It's how we lay out our day before the Lord. It's like a rummaging through our day, like watching our day on instant replay and looking to see where God may have been that we didn't see him, okay? It's looking to see where God may have been that, that, that we didn't first see him. And so you, you might be in the prayer of examine and recall a conversation that you had with your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parents. And all of a sudden you realize that there, God was somehow in that conversation. He brings that to mind during the prayer of examine. Prayer of examine, you take 10 or 15 minutes at the end of the day and you just reflect on your day through the four steps outlined in your handout. You're gonna have homework this series, Okay. I thought church was not like school. Well, school was actually like church, so we had it first. You're gonna practice the prayer of examine and it's just going throughout your day and looking for where God might have been. The prayer of examine really is exactly what David had in mind in Psalm 139. Listen to Psalm 139, verses one through six. David writes, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up and you know my thoughts Even when I'm far away, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. Now, if you stop at verse four, it just sounds like God is kind of watching. Like in the Matrix, do you remember that guy that had the chair and all those TVs and he was just watching? That sounds what it's like. But look what happens in verse five. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head, and such knowledge, David writes, is just too wonderful for me. It's too great for me to understand. Listen, God is not just observing your life. He is participating with you in it. 
God is not just observing your life and kind of like a, like a referee waiting to see when you fall out of bounds to throw the flag. He's participating in your life in, with, and under, under every little aspect. And so the prayer of examine is how we look to see where God is doing that. Here's what is significant about this. God isn't just interested in like this hour on Sunday and other vaguely Christian moments that you have throughout the, year, uh, throughout the week. God does not have split custody. Okay, my parents were divorced growing up. They had split custody. I saw my dad every other weekend and on Tuesday nights. See, we can do that with God. God, you, I'll see you on the weekend and one night a week. That is, that is not what God has in mind. God has a vested interest in and attention for and presence to your commute to work, your family dinner, how you're raising your kids, how your marriage goes, how you treat your best friend. God has a vested interest in and makes himself present to us in those ordinary things of our life, which means this, that the primary placing, the primary place, the gym where we train ourselves in godliness is not here. The gym where we train ourselves in godliness is at work. The gym we train ourselves in godliness is with our parents and our family members. That that is the place where God forms us into his image. That place, not here. This place equips us to be formed in God's image the rest of the week. Does that make sense? It recenters us and sends us back out. Not to stretch the, 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 the training and athletic metaphor too much, but this is kind of halftime, right? Back in Back in, this is the huddle. All right, let's kind of reassess. Let's rebuild the plan. Okay, now let's go again. God is not just, guys, God is just not just interested in like this hour. He's interested in your whole life. He's not watching to make for you to fail. He's interested in watching because he wants to get your attention through the ordinary events of your life. And the prayer of examine helps us rummage through our day and see where God may have been particularly present so that he can speak to us about a particular thing. See, when you're only asking God for stuff, it limits the conversation, doesn't it? But think about when you go out to dinner with a friend, when somebody says, hey, let's go get a beer, hey, let's go get a coffee, let's, let's go do this, what do you do? You, you catch up, right? Well, this happened this week, and last week this happened, and oh my gosh, did I tell you that my parents did this crazy thing? Um, and, uh, or if you're an adult, did I tell you my kids did these crazy things? And so you're sharing back and forth the details of your life. And as the conversation goes on, then what happens? That's when you start to say, I'm actually kind of concerned about this. This is something that I'm kind of wrestling with. This is something that I'm finding that I hurt about. The conversation is broader that way. And, this, and the prayer of examine expands the conversation so that we're sharing our day with God. And it's not that he didn't know or wasn't present for. Really, it's helping us know what God already knew about our day and trying to help us get on the same page with him, right? God is not like, oh, I didn't know you had that weird conversation with your boss today. He, he is, and he wants to help you process that. That's why in the long version of this, read the whole handout and work through the whole handout this week. One of my favorite questions is, is this idea of recall the strongest emotion that you felt today. And take that to God and ask Jesus if he ever felt the same way. So this week, I'm processing through some disappointment and some sadness. And so I'm recalling that and I take it to the Lord. I tested this out to see if it works. And so far it is. I don't think it was a bad taco. So I took this to the Lord. I said, Lord, have you ever felt disappointed and sad like this? And instantly the Lord took me to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Thursday night before Jesus dies. He's in a garden at late at night begging his father so that he doesn't have to go and 
can do this work. He wants out. He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I don't, I'm, my heart is grieved. Luke says that Jesus was so stressed out that he sweat blood. He was so sad. He was, I mean, he was grieved. And the Lord took me back to that place and said, this is, I know this feeling. And I said to him, but Lord, this is unfair because you knew the ending, right? You saw the other end of the disappointment, right? So, so Jesus, this disappointment had to be lighter because you knew like it was going to be okay in the end, right? Like you got to be famous because of this. So what about me? And the Lord was kind of reminding me, knowing what, what's on the other end doesn't necessarily lighten the burden. Like Jesus still had to endure that. Okay, so suddenly in the prayer of exam, and I'm recalling this day, I'm kind of recalling my feelings, and this is not going to counseling in the presence of Jesus. This is Jesus walking with us in something, and all of a sudden I feel like Jesus is shouldering that burden with me. That's what the prayer of exam is about. It's about taking to him these ordinary things of your day, and then God being able to use those things to form us into the image of Jesus. So your homework this week is to practice the prayer of exam. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to say, I'm going to do this tonight. I'm awesome. I'm excited about it. Then your friends are going to call and you're not going to get home until 1030 and you're going to work in the morning. So you're not going to do it. And you're going to go tomorrow and you're going to say, oh crap, I've got to do this. And by Wednesday, you've not done it. And now you're feeling guilty, right? So I'm not going to do it. Anymore. Don't do that. Like, what is the rule? God is just glad you showed up, right? So you want to go, you want to sit before the presence of the Lord, find your chair, get quiet, turn off your phone. I, again, millennials, you can do it. I believe in you. Um, and the text that somebody sent will wait 10 minutes longer because that's all it's really going to be. You get quiet before the Lord. You just want to invite his presence. And I wrote about that in the handout. And then you want to work through these four steps. Now, some of you are going to find that it's easier to journal this, okay? Because doing it in your head, your head ping-pongs around a lot, right? So you might want to journal your way through. Um, and you work through these four steps and you move on with your day. Go to bed. Maybe you do it first thing the next morning. But, and here's a rule. Uh, my, my spiritual director and friend back in Illinois uh, s- taught me this because when you pray, what happens? Your mind just goes 18 different directions. So you need to kind of picture yourself, and it helps if you actually picture this. You're on the side of a river, and all the thoughts you're having are the boats going by, right? Oh, I need to buy that at the store. I need to call this person. This person's probably mad at me, and I'm going to fret about that for a minute. Let the boats go by, do not get on the boat, okay? You might find yourself on the boat. I, 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 and I, this is what I do in my brain. This is how I also keep secrets. If you ever need to tell me to keep a secret, you need to tell Kyle to put it in a vault and I will mentally picture vaulting it and then it stays in there for real. Otherwise, I've probably told all of your secrets, which is exactly what you want to hear your pastor say, right? Um, we're going to take communion here in a second. Let me tell you this, but you, I, I pictured myself, oh no, I'm on the boat and I get off the boat and I'm back on the riverside. Do you see what I'm saying? And you just bring these things to God. And here's what you also need to push through. You may not feel any different on the other side of this exercise, but we, what do we do? We do not chase experiences, okay? That's what the difference is between discipline because I go to the gym and I hate going every time, but I go. I know it's hard to tell, but take it on faith. Um, Listen, Jesus wants to share in your daily life. He said... I call you friends. And this is just a way. It's not the way. It's a way for you to experience that friendship. Next week, totally different practice. That might work. You might come back and be like, I don't know what the heck he was talking about. St. Ignatius of whatever. But if this is helpful, keep leaning into it. That's the purpose of this series, that on the other end of this, in mid-August, you picked up a couple of prayer habits that, that help you connect with God. 
Because ultimately, guys, Jesus is just looking to have a friendship with us. I mean, that's nuts. He's just looking to have a friendship with us, and this is a way. Let's pray, and we're going to take communion together. Jesus, we pray that you would you would speak to us this week. I pray for my friends that you would give them a lot of slow pitches that they could hit out of the park. God, when they need help, give them the courage to ask for help. But God, would you meet them? Ah, Jesus, you said that when we call, you will answer. And so I just pray this week that people, our, our folks here, my friends, they would feel a sense of your presence as they do this, that they would find a way to connect with you in a way that's meaningful. God, that they would be challenged, that they would be um, corrected, that they would be encouraged, that they would know their, your love for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.